I'm Tom Zalatni. And I'm Tafira Jemian. And you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Before we dig in, we'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where we're recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I uh, suspect, based on what our topic is today and the region of the world that it comes from, we are going to be having some hard conversations today, maybe potentially, about uh, displaced people groups and... uh, foods that belong to multiple people as a result of them. Uh, And so I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land that you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area and the sort of diasporic culture around that, because these are things that are important to reflect on when you're reflecting on the food that you love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is episode 69 of No Bad Food. Nice. But that is the only joke we're going to make about that today, because today we are talking about something very serious, something very yummy, something stuffed, dolma. Now, uh, I have less of a personal relationship with dolma than Teffer does, uh, but just to give you a quick little intro to what dolma is... I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, I have to cut you off right there. I just like dolma. <laughs> All right. <laughs> They are stuffed dishes common in cuisines that used to be part of the Ottoman Empire, including but not limited to Armenian, Levantine, Eastern Mediterranean, Anatolian, Iranian, and Central Asian. The most common tend to be vegetables, but things like offal and seafood are sometimes used as well, and there are also fruit-based ones, because it dolma just means stuffed or filled. So, like, you know, you can stuff or fill pretty much anything. Uh, Frequently, they are stuffed with ground meat or rice. But again, given how many different cuisines use them and include them, uh, the possibilities are infinite and limitless. For my own personal context, Hungary has stuffed peppers and stuffed cabbage that are, you know, usually stuffed with beef, pork, rice, uh, sometimes choosing to opt out of the pork because there are lots of Jews in Hungary. Uh, And of course, Hungary's national spice, paprika, has to be present in Mm -hmm. everything. Um, And uh, the only other little note here I've got just at the top of the show is that uh, while the stuffed uh, grapevine leaves that we think of a lot when we think of stuffed foods are technically dolma, they're also technically called sarma because they are wrapped instead of just being stuffed. But that distinction feels not like the most important, but like still it's a slight variety thing. So. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think when people... So I say dolma because that's how Armenians say it, or maybe French. I don't know. It's how I was raised saying it. But I think you can say it both ways. Like you said, this is a food that's from a large region of the world. Mm -hmm. And when we start talking about Middle Eastern food, things get a little complicated. (laughs) Uh, For example, the dolma that people are most familiar with is the vine-wrapped dolma, Mm -hmm. the sarma which you can get in most grocery stores now. I mean, I'm saying most grocery stores, I guess most Middle Eastern grocery stores, but rice wrapped in vine leaves and and kind of cured. The the vine leaves have been cured in a brine, so they've got that kind of spicy, tangy thing. Now, those are classic. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like growing up, that's like there's no... uh, aperitif complete without a plate (laughs) of dolma. They are wonderful. You get just like 
two little bites of a yummy, yummy rice wrapped in a leaf. Right. Uh, extremely tasty. But the other kind of dolma is Armenian dolma, which is, like you said, stuffed vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing that my family makes when we have big extended family gatherings. I have some great photos of me and my aunt making them together like 10 years ago nice. uh, when I went to visit her. But it's something we do because it's a big process. Sure. You make the filling, you have to hollow out all the veggies. You want to add the hollowed out veggie pulp to the filling so you're not wasting anything. Right. And then they steam for a long time. But yeah, they're 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 super yummy. Yeah. Well, that's that like hollowing out and using the filling to not waste it is something that I really appreciate about the, the vine leaves specifically mm-hmm. because you don't have to hollow them out nearly as much, right? No. Uh, and also because otherwise, what are you really going to use those for, right? And like grapes grow on vine. Yep. Leaf, grape leaf grow on vine. Yep. When you take the grape, what's the vine going to get used for? Yeah. You know, you got to use the leaves for something. And so I love that we have something we can use them for. And I suspect going back that it started in a more practical sense mm. of like, want to carry rice with me. What am I going to put rice <laughs> in? And this is something we see in all kinds of cultures, right? Using leaves as wrapping. Sure, yeah. Um, because we didn't used to have things readily available like paper and saran wrap and Ziplocs and all the things we have now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a case of probably practicality that turned into hey this is yummy especially if you blanch them pickle them preserve them first yeah well it's interesting i'm i'm like trying to find so you know i'm not doing a deep historical dive here but i'm looking at the wikipedia history section <laughs> on it um and it doesn't say anything about the specific origin of it just that they've been like stuffed vegetable dishes have been part of middle eastern cuisine for centuries um there are stuffed eggplant recipes in medieval arabic cookbooks Mm -hmm. and in ancient greek cuisine fig leaves stuffed with sweetened cheese but uh but in terms of like when that would have like originated as a concept i don't know it feels like one of those things like we talked about this a bit on a meatball conversation we had a long time ago where like it just it's a natural thing to think to do yeah, to put stuff yeah. in other stuff and try it. Well, it's the same as when we talked about sandwiches, right? Yeah. Like, sure, they started being called sandwiches by the Earl of Sandwich, but like putting food on bread is an extremely old concept. Right. Putting food in leaves, you know, you look at um, tamales too, like right. like putting cooking food in or or cooking in banana leaves is really really common in areas mm-hmm. where banana trees exist right it's a very very old thing and then especially when we're talking about the middle east where there's literally thousands of years <laughs> of documented history yeah. you know at some point you're like okay they were talking about this millennia ago right we don't know where this started. Yeah. This this is just food. Like I, I think that's one of the things I find really fun about like ancient food history mm-hmm. is you go back and you're just like on some level it's just like, yeah, we've just been eating this for a very long time. Yeah. Well and like you know, we know that people have been wrapping their meat in fig leaves since right. Genesis. All right. <laughs> all right. Ah! Yeah, all right. Ah! Settle down. Episode 69. <laughs> Settle down. Okay, so we, we alluded to this a little bit at the top of the show. You have much more of a personal relationship mm-hmm. to Dolma than I do. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. I mean, as as I said earlier, yeah, this is something that my family specifically makes a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming from the Armenian side on my dad's side, but also... 
you know, the 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 other parts of my dad's family are Italian and then culturally Provençal. Right. And that's just like like stuffed veggies and nightshade fruits. That's like very much just that area of yeah. the world. <laughs> so in my family, the way we make it is with a rice and meat filling, mm-hmm. usually, unless we have a few vegetarians in the family. So sometimes we make it vegetarian. Sure. And it's really convenient because in my family, we have a lot of dietary restrictions. <laughs> there are a lot of people with celiac disease. Uh, there are a lot of people with just like dairy sensitivities, gluten sensitivities, nut sensitivities. So this is a more recent thing, but finding dishes that everybody can eat. Yeah. We used to just make like big pasta dishes. Uh, but dolma is gluten-free. It's yep. dairy-free. It's easy to make like it's easy to make vegetarian and it's easy to make like more meat heavy if somebody is going through a high protein stage because there's just so many of us and uh everybody always has some kind of dietary shit going on sure yeah so the way we make it but i'm gonna say just like standard the way we usually make it is with rice in my my nuclear family we would usually use brown rice uh but with my aunt i think we've usually used a white rice usually a short grain rice Mm -hmm. rather than a long grain rice so something that's gonna get kind of soft and starchy yeah a little stickier uh like the rice you find in in the vine leaf dolma you can pick up at the grocery store you cook the meat you mix it with the cooked rice you add seasonings usually parsley there's some tomato uh there will often be tomato from like hollowing out the tomatoes salt and pepper it's not heavily seasoned it's not heavily spiced it's more about making all of the natural flavors sing sure um but definitely parsley i think often just any kind of provencal herbs that we have Mm. like I don't know. The the way we've always done herbs in my family is you always have like some mix of oregano, parsley, basil, tarragon. Like you usually, rosemary, obviously, you usually have these on hand and you use whatever you have. Sure, yeah. yeah I, I really like to use like a um, one of the Middle Eastern peppers, like an Aleppo pepper mm-hmm. in it because it's just got that nice flavor. And you can also add sumac. So mm-hmm. we sometimes will, sometimes won't traditionally in Armenia you use sumac constantly in everything. But like because it's only recently become commercially available, sure, we didn't yeah. really use it when we were growing up, which is kind of insane because also we had tons of sumac growing out back. When well, I, I was, was going to say, because sumac is like, <laughs> sumac is one of those things that's indigenous to North America too, right? Uh, no, sumac isn't indigenous to North America. Sumac's been used in, in the Middle East for a very long time. Staghorn sumac is everywhere here. Okay. Um, but I don't believe that it is indigenous because I, I it it definitely it grows everywhere. It definitely here. grows really well here. Yeah, it might not be indigenous to, to North America. I'm gonna actually true. look that up because now I'm curious and yeah. I don't Okay, staghorn sumac is native to eastern North America. So maybe that's I mean, we need to talk about colonialism definitely yeah. with this meal. <laughs> uh not even col- I mean I want to make a distinction between colonialism and just international trade routes because sure. there's a distinction and yeah. we can we can definitely get into that. Okay. So Sicilian sumac, Ruscoriaria or elm leaf sumac is a deciduous shrub that is in the cashew family and is native to southern Europe and West Asia. So the dried fruits of that are what's used in Zatar and that is indigenous to the Middle East. I I knew this. However, staghorn sumac and little leaf sumac, fragrant sumac, uh, the ones that are grown for ornament often are all indigenous to North America and indigenous people in North America have used them for cuisine as well for many, many years. So um, 
I have used staghorn sumac. I've harvested it, processed it, and used it in cooking, and it's lovely. Yeah. Um, and it's a pretty indistinguishable. Um, but yes, there are sumacs that are indigenous to both parts of the world. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like similar to how there's rice that's from here, but it's not the same as the rice from... Exactly, from, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. And I believe they're in the same family generally. Okay. Um, they're not exact, they're not the same species, but they are. They're, they're all sumacs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're all, you know, shrubs that have droops that... Sure. ...that are good for food. Well, I love, I love having sumac in this kind of thing because in my mind... And maybe this is because of the sort of Eastern European side of me. But, like, mm-hmm. I love when these sort of stuffed things are a little bit tart, I guess. Like, when yes. they have, like, a bit of a sourness to them. Yes. And sumac has that a little bit naturally, yes. right? Yeah. Um, um, and, and growing up, we would use lemon. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But That's you, it. you want to have that sour note in it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, like, I don't think that it's, like, essential to it, certainly. Like, I think you can, you know, I mean, I think, strictly speaking, the only thing that's essential to it is that something is stuffed in something, yeah. right, if we're yeah. going to be technical. But, like, I think that having having that, like, sour element, that acid in it, gives it a little bit of a kick that I appreciate. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That, like, cuts through the salt of it a little. And and for me, it's kind of what, what like, flavor profile-wise sets dolma apart from something like a, an Eastern European stuffed cabbage. Sure. Is there's a little more of that tart flavor, whereas I associate sure. that with maybe, like, often stuffed cabbage will have, like, raisins in it. It'll be a little mm-hmm. sweeter, a little nuttier, like... Right. Yeah, and I find that, that those those flavor differences are a really important distinction. Yeah. Well, that's it, because in Eastern European food, you just throw some pickles there with it instead. So you don't yeah. you don't yeah. bother making it sour, because you're like, yeah. oh, I've, already got, I've got pickles. Why do I want my cabbage leaves to be sour? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's it. And it gives it that sort of... Um, it rounds that out a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what's like? Um, what's for you the the peak stuffing vegetable? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, if you had to, like, obviously in an ideal world, you get to make like a variety, right? Yeah. But if you're like, hmm, gotta whip something up for a potluck, want to yeah. make dolma, what's the what's the one? You know? Well. So what I'm actually going to say, because if I was making dolma, I would not make one kind of sure. dolma. Yeah, for, yeah. Me, for me, there has to be a variety of veggies. But if what you're asking me is, what do I pick out yeah. of the pan? Which dolma am I sure, eating? Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, that works. <laughs> uh, usually, I'm going to go for a pepper first. Sure. I really like a stuffed bell pepper. Um, usually, when we make them, there's there's bell peppers, tomatoes, eggplant, and zucchini. Okay. I've talked about my disdain for zucchini. Sure. Zucchini is not what I'm going for unless it's the last one left in the pan. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but I mean, it's fine. You cut it up. It, it does just fine. But like I've said before, you know, zucchini doesn't do anything better. <laughs> zucchini doesn't do anything best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's no bad food, but there's mediocre food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just zucchini is not a bad food. Yeah. But it is... I I would pick it last sure. for the team. Yeah. So a bell pepper, I mean, obviously it's just already structured, right? And what I like right. is its structural integrity. A bell pepper is made to be stuffed. Yeah. So it's got those strong walls that hold up even when they're cooked to be soft enough to be really, like, delicious. Mm-hmm. And... It's always going to be the right thickness, like right with a zucchini, with an eggplant. Sometimes you go a little too far, especially sure. with a tomato. You can make a hole in it. Well, that's that's what um, I was going to say is that yeah. a bell pepper is also super fucking easy to hollow out. Yeah, exactly. Because you just take the top off yeah. and pull. A bell pepper is made for stuffing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'm always going to go for a bell pepper. The only thing with dolma 
a whole bell pepper is a lot. Sure. Uh, often, especially mm. like like modern bell peppers are bred to be very large. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes a whole bell pepper full of stuffing is too much and you have to eat half of it. Right. And for me, having to cut it in half kind of takes some of the joy out of it. Sure. There's something really nice about having a whole little vegetable. So in that case, if I felt like the bell peppers were too big and I was going to have to do half of one, mm-hmm. my second tier would be tomato. Okay. Uh, stuffed tomato is really nice. The flesh yeah. melts into the stuffing. It's yeah. really delicious. Um, eggplant, similarly, the only thing is that eggplant takes longer to cook than the other ones. Right. So you have to make sure you've prepared it properly. So what I would always do is like hollow out the eggplant, salt it, mm-hmm. and let those sit for a little while while you prep the rest of your veggies. Right. And then rinse them to make sure the eggplant's going to be like soft and sweet enough. But I mean, you really can't go wrong. Like honestly, like I mean, I said all that stuff about zucchini, but one of my favorite ways to eat zucchini is as dolma because sure. like it's just it's yummy and comforting and yeah, well and hearty. And I think there's something to that, right? There's something to this as a way to make a vegetable more exciting, right? Yeah, because you are like you're kind of stewing it in itself. A little bit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're giving it the chance to roast a little, mm-hmm. to to get hot enough that the juices start to come out and flavor the other stuff that you're eating with it, but you're not just relying on it itself. So it, it, it saves the zucchini a little bit from itself. Yeah. 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 And that's what you have to do with the zucchini is save yeah. it from itself. <laughs> um, it's also like, I love that we're doing Dolma right now because this, folks, right now, this is early September, if you're in... I'm going to say the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this is the time. This is dolma season. When the vegetables, like you're getting all the harvest, you can get these, I don't know about your grocery store, but right now we can get like baskets of Quebec produce for like six bucks. Mm-hmm. You grab a few of those. Like this is the time. This is when you can get loads of produce. Because the thing with dolma is that historically... It's a cheap, easy thing to make because it's not a lot of meat. It's grain. Mm-hmm. You can also, oh, I should also say you can make dolma with bulgur. Yeah. Um, Armenians love bulgur. Bulgur is cracked wheat. Uh, my family stopped using it at some point because we're all, as <laughs> previously stated, have issues with gluten. Right. Um, but I love bulgur. Yeah. Um, if you've never had Armenian, like, pilaf, which is bulgur and noodles, or tabbouleh, which mm-hmm. is quite different. If you're if you're used to Israeli tabbouleh, Armenian tabbouleh is different. It's it's a lot more bulgur mm. um, than parsley. I have we can talk about tabbouleh another day. <laughs> I have strong feelings about it. Yeah, um, but yeah, you can definitely substitute. But you can the rice make dolma with bulgur, and yeah. if you have never had bulgur, I really recommend it. It is cheap. It's if you can handle wheat. Sure. <laughs> um, it's nutty in a way that rice is not. Yeah. It's got this real depth of flavor. And that's actually why I like using brown rice for dolma is similar, it has yeah. that similar sweetness, that similar like nutty sweetness. Yeah. Just like me. Oh, that goes with it. Love it. Yes. So normally these days, now that produce is outrageously expensive because <laughs> we're living in a Absolute cost of living crisis. Yeah, this um, is the darkest timeline. If you don't have an abundant backyard garden, <laughs> you may have trouble. It may be an expensive dish. Yeah. Bell peppers are like 
five dollars a pound right now eggplant's probably a little cheaper zucchini's probably a little cheaper and that's why i'm saying like now is the time to make it because right now is the time of seasonal produce when you can actually get local produce for a reasonable cost instead of the rest of the year that's it um but like the rest of the year there is cabbage cabbage well exactly that's when we get into leaves (laughs) yeah well that's it right because because grape leaves you might not have access to depending on where you are yeah but you will have access to a cabbage now cabbage is not really dolma in my opinion sure because cabbage cabbage is a cooler weather crop sure um cabbage doesn't like really hot dry weather Mm -hmm. so we don't really have it in the middle east it doesn't really grow there you could use another leafy green that is more adapted to hot dry weather yeah um but like your traditional head of cabbage and you know i love cabbage cabbage is an mvp (laughs) i've talked about that all the time uh but it's not to me that's not dolma sure sure Um, vine leaves would be more yeah yeah but you can stuff a leaf you can stuff whatever leaf is available well that's it and that's that's more what i mean with the cabbage thing is like you know you can you got to work with what you've got access to right and so if you live somewhere where it is colder yeah. And you just have cabbage instead. Like, you can do something great with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Just um, with your leaves, if you're using cabbage, collards, kale, whatever you're using, make sure you blanch them first. Yeah. Blanching is very quick boiling. So you bring a pot of salted water to a rolling boil and you put them in for like one minute max and pull them out. And then they're going to be softer and more pliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You, you, you got to make sure that you can actually like work with them before you try to roll them. Exactly. Or, or it's going to be hard. Yeah. yeah. Unless you want to do it on hard mode. In which case, good luck. <laughs> no, but it won't be as good. <laughs> <laughs> doing things the hard way is not always doing things the best way. That's, a lesson. This is a, this is an important and valuable lesson. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, should we take them over to the mid-roll? Let's take them over to the Speaking mid-roll. Speaking of rolling things and wrapping them well. If you're enjoying this show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend who likes to wrap things in other things. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> for every new rating and review we get during the month of september we'll be donating two dollars to the depot our local food bank here in ndg we were just talking about um access to vegetables one yep. wonderful thing about the depot is they are a full diet food bank so mm-hmm. there is loads of fresh produce available as part of their offerings which uh, is really fantastic because yep. often that's not the case with food banks <laughs> They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of this show, you're functionally donating $6 worth of food to people who need it, which is like, you know, a bell pepper. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Oh, God, that's bleak. I know. (laughs) There's no other way to turn zero into peppers. So if that math is exciting for you, please uh, go leave us a review. You can read all about what The Depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. It's true. Another lovely way to support us is by putting our logo on your body. I'm not talking about tattoos, folks, unless you want to. I won't stop you. I'm talking about merch. We have merch. We have, in fact, just added some brand new merch. Uh, As part of joining the Podcavern network that we just joined last week, we also are now selling merch on the Podcavern merch store. So you can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from the Podcavern merch store, like t-shirts, snapbacks. Ooh. Yeah. 
Ooh. Yeah, it's better than our old merch store. Yeah, I mean, and also more direct, right? So yeah. we're getting more of the uh, the uh, merch outcomes. Yeah, it's it it supports us more than the other one. Exactly. Did. Thank yeah. you. Uh, so that's it. You can get shirts, snapbacks, aprons, tote bags, hoodies. Baseball caps that aren't snapbacks, mugs, uh, uh, tank tops, polos, which is fun, uh, cotton totes that are eco-friendly, um, baseball-style t-shirts, baby Ooh. caps and bibs. <gasps> uh, dress your baby in no bad food. Dress your baby in no bad food. There's a tie-dye t-shirt that's pretty Ooh. pretty cool, pretty sweet. Uh, and if you are Gen Z and you want to get a bucket hat with our logo on it, you can do that. Uh, if you're not Gen Z and you want to get a bucket hat... You can also do that. Don't discourage people from 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 buying our. <laughs> I just I just I'm I'm really team snapback here. These snapbacks look very cool. I'm very excited to see one of the snapbacks in person. Yes, yeah, you yes. know I already ordered one for myself. I do, I do. I think so, you didn't order one for me. But no, I didn't. But you can wear mine sometimes. Okay, thank we'll you. share. Okay, don't share I, your hats with people unless you live with them, though. I never look more like a podcaster than when I wear a snapback. It's true. Snapback, <laughs> glasses, a little bit of beard, yeah, a little bit of gravel in your voice. Yeah. Anyway, but so no get gravel some merch. in your lentils. Don't put gravel in your lentils. Do put a snapback on your head with our logo on it. Hit the merch link, <laughs> Pod Cavern. Do you know we're part of the co- pod? We're part I, of the Cod Pod now. We're part. We're part of the Cod. Cod Pod Podcavern. We're part of Tongues Team. Tongues Team. That should be a shirt too. We're part of it. Podcavern. Go check it out. Podcavern.com. It's so fun. We're so excited. Yeah. It's so much easier now. There's a lot of really fun shows on there, like Ranked, which we've both been on. Yeah. And the one about moths, which I haven't listened to, but I like its name. Vincent Lazan, who is like, for all extents and purposes, like family to me like a like a father he was there like when uncle. you were born he was in the room when i was yeah. untimely ripped from my mother you were not a c-section baby yeah, i was what yeah how did i not know this i don't know but i killed hamlet so like no wonder your back's fucking go up. is that hamlet is that Macbeth? Macbeth. oops hamlet's poison in the ear that's right well you know it's not poison in your ear the moth collection vincent's <laughs> new podcast so you should go listen to it on the that's podcast such a good name yeah. i didn't even know it was vincent's i just like moths. oh you didn't no i feel like i, I should have told you that you did but i forgot because uh, i don't there remember things. there we go you don't listen to me no but you do listen Never. to no bad food the, the moth collection i don't oh my God. <laughs> but i will damn it Tepper. <laughs> all right let's get back to the show <laughs> So, okay, so a fun thing about Dolma. Yeah, everything about them is fun. Everything about Dolma is fun. This is something that, like, we've talked about before with Italian cuisine, but Mm -hmm. I find it so funny is that so many of the vegetables that we stuff are not actually from the region. Right. And I think vine leaves are possibly the only option (laughs) that, like, my family does that is, in fact, indigenous to the Middle East, but I'm checking on eggplant. I, I think that eggplants and zucchinis, by virtue of how close they are to cucumber. Yeah. Which, like, I think those are all things that grow around there. Yes. Okay. So eggplant, yes, is from Asia. Eggplant is from Asia originally. Mm-hmm. But bell peppers, tomatoes yeah. are not. Yeah. So eggplant and zucchini, I think, are indigenous to Asia. Peppers and tomatoes are not. Yeah. Apparently, zucchini's origin is, in fact, in Mesoamerica. Oh. Yeah. All right. So, eggplants. But they grow really, really well. 
in uh oh hang on hold up zucchini descends from squashes that were first domesticated in mesoamerica seven thousand years ago but the zucchini itself is milanese so so zucchini is italian okay squashes squashes north american mexican whatever you want to call it squashes from here zucchini is from italy zucchini is from italy but like bread from american squashes yeah okay so it's still a recent (laughs) newcomer well, define recent. Like, the Italians went to Mesoamerica in the 1500s. Let's be real. Right, right. It's but I mean, it's, it's within the last thousand years. Sure. It's yeah. kind of how I think of it uh, as recent. Yeah. There we go. I mean, like, I, I used to do anthropology and literature. Like, the last thousand years is recent in sure. both of those categories. Yeah. If you can understand it. Yeah. <laughs> it's recent. Um, so that's kind of a fun thing. Yeah. Where, like, there is dolma that's anciently indigenous to the area which mm-hmm. is probably honestly like bulgur wrapped in vine leaves is probably the oldest specifically armenian but then so i said earlier that i want to talk about like international food exchange apart yeah. from colonialism because sure. we yeah. talk a lot about colonialism and obviously when we're talking about things from the americas coming to Europe in the 1500s yeah. that is what we're talking about yeah. um, there's no escaping that yeah. but whether it's British colonialism or Italian colonialism exactly yeah. and the Italian I mean I, I, I'm Italian and I have no delusions about Italian colonialism yeah. it was some of the most awful colonizing yeah. was done by the Italians in that era but when we're talking about Middle Eastern food and Mediterranean food we're talking about food cultures that are on ancient trade routes yeah not just in the last thousand years ancient like Mm -hmm. ancient ancient trade routes (laughs) um you know when you look at the the spice trade which people often in our area of the world hear about it with relation to christopher columbus Mm -hmm. but columbus is just the one who brought europe into a trade route that had existed for many 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 years (laughs) because the strongest empires of the era were in asia at that point yeah um, well, and it's like we know that like the ancient Mesopotamians were trading with Asia already. Yeah, yeah. In like 5000 BC yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's even evidence. I mean, uh, this is like I'm going back to my days of taking archaeology classes in college. So this really may be outdated. But there's probably evidence of cross ocean trading previous to European colonization. Um, There was evidence of people already taking boats across absolutely knowledge of countries being across the ocean because you get things like seeds getting blown in on storms that come from somewhere (laughs) else, right? In the post-colonial world, globalization has been such a negative thing for Mm. our climate, for for people. (laughs) Um, But Global exchange is not a negative thing. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to take our modern context and apply that to ancient um, circumstances. But when we're talking about the kind of trade that happens slowly, gradually from people exploring and exchanging and marrying into other cultures and having a more human and a more mutual exchange. Right. Um, it's a really beautiful thing. It's something that adds to diversity, that adds to yeah. the richness of global cuisine. Well, that's it. And it's yeah. it's like we it's easy for us to to look at all that stuff from our like modern lens as well, right? Where we know that we know of the massive effects that globalization mm-hmm. has had on on us and yeah. on the planet. But like like Matt was saying a couple of weeks ago on the episode about burgers, 
the folks who, you know, a thousand years ago were transporting various, you know, plants back and forth or like trading for various spices and like, mm-hmm. you know, planting the ones they could. They they didn't have that perspective, for one yeah. thing. They didn't know like the 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 first people that you could even like potentially blame for globalization had no actual context for like what that would look like mm-hmm. down the line, right? Mm-hmm. Like no one could have seen the scope or the scale that they would have gotten to if they were doing things before the Industrial Revolution. Exactly. I would say everybody after the Industrial Revolution, you could probably argue you could blame them. But like prior to the Industrial Revolution, like Nobody fucking knew what was going to happen, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So all of this was just people getting excited about like, oh my God, that's a thing that's yummy. Let's like figure out how we can do that. I mean, I, so, okay, two things. Like one is I was already thinking about industrialization and sure. the fact that like the things that are negative about globalization are tied to industrialization. 100%, yeah. We can't really talk about one without the other. Yeah. However, I'm, we usually place the industrial revolution at around the beginning of the 1900s, like maybe 1850s onward. We have empire colonization before then. Sure, yeah. That is also a problem. And I think the real issue is when it's about economies and globalization. Sure, and I mean, yeah. obviously, like we can go back to tulip mania, which we've talked about before, <laughs> which is also like it's the, we, we talk about it as the first example of a boom and bust e- economy sure, yeah. where people in... Europe got so excited about tulips being imported from Persia that they became more valuable than like an entire person's fortune. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like obviously we've been making terrible uh, economy choices as a species for a very long time. Yeah. But the European colonization of the 14 and 1500s was not just about yay food. No, exactly. <laughs> let's, yeah. <laughs> let's eat yummy food. Uh, the, the food parts, I think all of the human aspects of that um, were incidental. Yeah. And all of the explicit goals were uh, um, eugenic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to make, like, I mean, you know, people do PhDs on this stuff. We're not going to get into all of it in an hour-long podcast episode. Globalization. It's complicated. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. But but that being said, I think that it's okay for us to appreciate and celebrate the, like, culinary growth that we got as a result of those things while also, like, holding holding that like discomfort and that like frustration about the like inhumane ways that people have been treated over the years in Mm -hmm. the name of growth Mm -hmm. like we can hold that in contention yes and if we're talking about armenia yeah (laughs) (laughs) um armenia is a tiny little nation tiny little very ancient nation that has just been getting beat on by bigger more powerful nations for millennia and you know if we get a little bit of culinary growth out of that that's cool yeah (laughs) it's like sure the turks maybe wiped out three quarters of our population so we're gonna take what we can get from them yeah (laughs) <laughs> and they're sure going to take what they can get from us. Yeah. There's there's just, you know, it's a rich tapestry. Yeah. But the food culture, where I was going with that <laughs> before we got into the Industrial Revolution and colonization and many other things. For me, it always comes back to like, this is a very 
this is a very romantic notion I have. Sure. And I'm sure it can be easily disabused by actual historical evidence. But there's a part of me that really, truly believes that if we do things at walking speed, we are all the better for it. Mm. And like, this is partly because I like walking. And this is partly <laughs> because, as I said before, this is like a romantic notion of mine that I just maintain. Sure. But I feel like when we do things on foot or like animal pace, you have more time to think about it. Sure. You know, if you're walking for three months to go get your cinnamon you're like gonna have a lot of time to consider how bad you want that cinnamon, where you're gonna bring that cinnamon, what that cinnamon is gonna do for you. Yeah. And I think there's something, it's like when you order something that has a long shipping time, right? Sure. You're only gonna pre-order something you really want. Right. And you're gonna really think about if you want that game, <laughs> for example. And sure. you're gonna get excited about playing it. And you're gonna get excited about the joy it's gonna bring. Whereas if you're like Amazon priming something overnight, you can do it a lot more like, eh, whatever. And so I feel like maybe as people murdered each other over spices, they were murdering each other with a little more forethought and maybe a little more human connection. You know? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was with you right up until the end there. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get, you know, murdered for your cinnamon grove, you want to be murdered by someone who really wants it, right? You want to be murdered by someone who really wants it, right? I think I lost the thread. I think so. you lost the thread a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean that I think that global exchange happens in a kinder, more human way when it is not like a high-speed tanker boat ripping stuff out of somebody's like market yeah you know? i mean where i thought you were going with that initially was that like global exchange is a nice happy thing when you take your time with it because then you don't murder the people but, on the but other the end thing is, like i can't say that because i know people still murder each other sure yeah yeah but but you had like a romantic notion attached to it. I think with yeah. a romantic notion, you could definitely get as romantic as you want. Don't you know me? Like I I can't just hold a romantic notion without criticizing it. Oh God. We love each other though. We do. Yeah. I would only murder you for cinnamon. Listen, I get it. I'm a big fan too. Cinnamon's good. Final thoughts on Dolma before we go. <laughs> hey, you should make it. It's yummy. But look up Armenian Dolma. Because um, otherwise, I don't know what you're going to get. And you might make some Greek dolma, and I can't vouch for that. Fair enough. Because they're stuffing fig leaves with sweetened cheese. So On the flip side, I will say uh, I have definitely had like <laughs> peppers stuffed with sweet cheese. Yeah. And they're really, really good. I bet they're delicious. <laughs> Not dolma. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you know, fair enough. That's Oop. it. That's it. Um, uh, maybe take a walk and don't kill anybody. Yeah, there's some some solid advice you can follow today is take a walk, don't kill anybody, stuff something inside of something else, and then eat it. You know turducken is technically dolma. I don't accept it. I don't accept awful as dolma either. You said that at the beginning wow. of the show. I don't accept that. Wow. Elitism over here. Tradition. That's what I prefer to call it. Tradition is just elitism. Historical. Do you want to look at Armenian history and see how much elitism you see? Thanks so much for listening to No Bad Food. <laughs> Do you want to be part of the conversation? You can you can you can you can uh, quickly murder us on Twitter and Instagram at No Bad Food Pod and individually at Teferbear and at Tom Zalatni. 
If you liked this episode, thank you. Thanks. Uh, if you want to help us make the show better, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and donate. For as little as $1 a month, you'll be joining the ranks of our besties, Gab, Thomas, Anne, Erica, Carlea, Andrew, Chantal, David, Mallory, and Sarah. Uh, we are cheap and easily bought. Hell yeah. Our patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. If that's exciting for you, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and make it happen. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends at the Pod Cavern. Our new merch store is over there now. We have a new merch link. Go to it. Get a hat. Get an apron. Get your baby a hat. Get your baby an apron. Make your baby cook. Make your baby cook for you. Our baby, oh my gosh, should we... Toby cooks for us. Toby cooks for us. Yesterday, Toby, at 8 a.m., asked me for strawberries and whiffed cream. Whiffed cream. Whiffed cream. And I said, it is 8 a.m., buddy. I'm not going to make strawberries and whiffed cream right now. We'll have it later. And then I came back into the kitchen a few minutes later and discovered that he had gotten out the strawberries and the cream, very neatly poured the cream into a jug, and was whiffing it with yeah. the uh, with the coffee, with the milk frother. Yeah. So he had some strawberries and like not very whiffed cream, but I was impressed with yeah. his uh, resourcefulness. Frothed cream, if anything. Doesn't have the same ring to it. Blinded cream. Blinded cream. Um, he calls it the coffee blinder because he's yeah. confused about vowels. Anyway, anyway, get your baby an apron. Yeah. You can also, of course, support us for free. Buy some strawberries and whiffed cream for Toby by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend. Uh, maybe a friend who sometimes loses the thread a little bit. Yeah. Share it with a phantom thread friend. Our theme music is by Zach Wrap It Up Ingles, and our cover art is by David Get Stuffed Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. And last but certainly not least, this show was produced by Tom Zalatni. That's you, and Tamara Jemian. That's, That's me. You. And edited by Tom Zalatni. That's me. As part of the Pod Cavern Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network, including The Moth Boys, at www.podcavern.com. What is that not the name? It's The Moth Collection. Moth Collection. Here's an ad for it right now. Report. Set collection. Discrepancy straight-lined, Moth said. Meet Moth. Moth travels everywhere and every when in search of often deadly discrepancies and tries to make sense of the briefs she gets from collection. There were holes in the brief, you know. I don't like that. The Moth Collection Podcast. It's science fiction with a little bit of horror. It's weird and funny and romantic, and there won't be another season. 14 episodes, and that's it, people. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by Podcavern. See you next week. <laughs> See you next week! You understand just takes a little time, it takes a little time, it takes a little time with me, I hope you don't mind, we'll take it slow this time. No Bad Food is a proud member of the Podcavern Network. For more great shows like this one, head to podcavern.com. What Mega Man boss would make the most terrifying kaiju? I, for one, want to be the first to welcome our new kaiju overlords. How would Adam Sandler fit in the MCU? I injected myself with the Green Goblin serum. 
Debate This is a podcast that asks the questions about your favorite video games and comics that no one is asking. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you download podcasts. And on social media at Debate This Cast. None of it's that so is mind control. Though. It's so close. It's not it's so close. It's-